Ever heard it said, it's not fair? Ever thought that? Come on, who hasn't thought that? We all think that sometimes, don't we? We all have a really strong sense of fairness, a strong sense of, you know, we want justice, we want uh, the righteous, the right way to respond and be seen to be responding rightly. We all have that built into us. How many conflicts have started, not just in families, but in communities and countries and world wars over that? You know, one person thinks they've been treated the wrong way and then they come back and it just escalates. Inside each and every one of us is that strong sense we want justice and we want to be seen as righteous. And what do those terms mean? Because that, sadly they vary according to person. When we actually think about those and just relate to ourselves and we have all our own particular interpretation and it's all how it affects me and how people see me. And so therefore it varies from person to person, country to country, place to place. And that's where conflicts start to happen. But there's another measuring gauge. There's another way of measuring what is righteous and what is just. You now know what that man's holding? It's one of those ancient things, isn't it? Plumb plum line. A plumb line is a weight on a bit of string or a bit of cord and uh, gravity means it'll hang down, it'll hang straight down. And so you hold it at the top of that wall and you let it hang down and you can see that in the middle of that wall there's second and third, two bricks in the middle of the wall, two stones are not quite touching the string, so a little bit out of square. And that tells you whether things are straight or not. And it's one of those ancient things that used to be used before all the other things that have come in nowadays. Well, look at what it says in chapter 7 of Amos, chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. Because God talks about the plumb line. Chapter 7, verse 7, this is what he showed me. The Lord was standing by a wall that had been built true to plumb, with a plumb line in his hand, just like that man. And the Lord said to me, what do you see, Amos? A plumb line, I replied. Then the Lord said, look, I'm setting a plumb line among my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. God is setting a plumb line. The plumb line is not a bit of string with a weight. The plumb line is what he says to them. What his prophets have said over and over and over, the same message over and over, what um, Amos, his, his um, megaphone, is saying to the people. And they're going to be um, judged by that. They're going to be saying, well, how do they make the grade according to what's been said? And every person's going to be measured. Every life is going to be measured by that. And so we go back to chapter 5. In chapter 5, it begins with... A lament. Fallen is the virgin Israel, never to rise again. It's actually talking like a funeral service. It's talking like the nation of Israel has died, dead, gone. We're having a funeral service for the nation of Israel. It's not true, they're still there. But things are so bad, he's actually confronting them and saying, you guys, unless you listen to me, unless you change your ways, it's going to be the end of you. Will they listen? He tells them in verse 4 what to do. He says in verse 4, Seek me and live. Seek me. Listen to me. Look for me. Seek me and live. And God's not hiding. It's not as though he's hard to find. Who's ever played, who's ne never played the game of hide and seek? Hands up. You haven't never played hide and seek? Okay, we're playing it outside later. In the dark. It's good fun in the dark. Um, I play that with my children and now my grandchildren. And I think all children play the game of hide and seek. And... 
Hide and seek is uh, for those who don't know. Those two or three hands that went up. Um, you actually, someone's got to count to ten with their eyes closed, and then uh, when they finish counting to ten, they've got to go and try and find the other people. The other people got to go and hide. And so my grandchildren love to play this game, and they say, "Yeah, Poppy, you count to ten. You stand there and count. You got to count real slowly because it takes them a while to work out where to hide." And often you open your eyes up and they're just standing over there. Yeah. Uh, no, you've got to hide. Get behind the curtain or go in the other room. So then, they, so then you get it worked out. They sort of, you know, help them find a hiding spot or, or someone like Trudy takes them, my wife takes them to hide. So they go and hide in a room. And so you say, I'm coming ready or not. So you start coming. In here, Poppy! They, they're calling out where they're hiding. Oh, okay. Right. They've got better now. Um, but let's go back to God. God is not hiding. In fact, he's in the room. He's right there with them. He's actually uh, got someone calling out to them, Amos. You know, he's yelling out to them, here I am. He's not hiding at all. He's vocal about it. He says, seek me. Seek me out. He says that in verse 6 again. He says in verse 6, seek the Lord and live. Seek the Lord and live. If you don't respond, you're going to stop living. It's a life and death situation. You need to seek him. You need to change your direction. You need to turn around. It's a warning for an immediate response. And then he goes on in verses 7 and following to talk about, uh, he said, seek the Lord and live. Now he's saying, seek good, not evil, because that's what they're doing. He says in verse 7 about them, there are those who turn justice into bitterness and cast righteousness to the ground. Um, God is really keen about uh, justice and righteousness. We'll come to that in a minute. But these people are totally ignoring what God loves, what pleases God. And they're stomping all over it. In fact, they're saying, look, it doesn't matter. We're not going to get caught. We're, we're safe. God, you know, God's up there. He doesn't know what we're doing. Now, we'll have our religious stuff, but then the rest of the time we'll just do whatever we want. It doesn't matter. There's Ten Commandments, isn't there? Is that right? Am I right saying there's Ten Commandments? And they know the Ten Commandments, but they've developed an 11th Commandment. You know what the 11th Commandment is? I'm reading a book right now by Jeffrey Archer about the 11th Commandment. Do you know what it is? The 11th Commandment is, thou shalt not get caught. And that's what the Israelites are doing. They're living the 11th Commandment. We're, doing the, we're obeying God, we're doing the 11th Commandment. We're not going to get caught. And they think they can outwit God, they can think they can do things and God doesn't know about it. In public they can be nice people, but in privately they're not. They think it's okay. And God's not happy with them. God knows what's going on. Verse 10. There are those who hate the one who upholds justice in the court and detest the one who tells the truth. He knows that's what they're doing. They're going against all justice and all righteousness. Things are important to God. In verse 11, they're trampling people, the poor, and forcing them to give grain. The people around them. Here are people, we looked the other week, God called them cows of Basham, uh, the women or the men too, but they're living in ivory palaces. They've got fantastic wealth. But people around them who are poor, they're taking what they have off them and oppressing them. And it says in verse 12, that God, I know you're... how many your offences are and how great are your sins. He knows them. They're not tricking him at all. And even more than that, there are those who oppress the innocent and take bribes and deprive the poor of justice in the courts. And the court system is important to God. 
He wants the court system to be a place where there is justice and where the poor, the underprivileged, the people who are hard can benefit through the courts. They're important to God. Are our courts like that? I was talking to Solicitor about that. He said, you know, the trouble with courts now, it depends how much money you've got. And the courts are not always to do with justice. They're more to do with the law. And if you've got enough money and you've got the power behind you, you can use the law to get what you want. That's the trouble. I'll give you an example. And again, from the solicitor friend. He was many years ago, he was in training, this example came up. It's back in the pre-decimal times, so it's back in the 60s or earlier. But he said there was a, there was a developer uh, in Sydney many years ago who wanted to build a really high-rise um, apartment building. And uh, he, he bought some land, he surveyed the land, and he found that his neighbour, uh, building two or three storeys next door, was one inch onto his property. And so he went to his neighbour and said, You're, you've actually built onto my property, I've surveyed it, you're an inch over. Either knock your building down or shave an inch off your building. And the guy said, oh, come on, let me, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, let me buy it from you, I'll, I'll buy the inch, I'll pay you a good price. I mean, that's, that's crazy to knock it down, it's crazy to cut an inch off. And he wouldn't budge, wouldn't have any. So the guy next door was forced to take uh, this, you know, an inch off the side of his building. And so he did that. It cost him a lot of money. And the developer built this big, high tower, you know, 10, 12-storey building next door to him. And when it was finished, uh, the guy who was, uh, owned the building, who had to shave it off, came and saw the developer and said to him, um, I see you built your building right up against mine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But do you realise I shaved two inches off my building? And therefore now you're an inch under mine? And there had to be a settlement then. You see, this, this poor bloke who was being victimised by this big developer, he got justice in a very interesting way, didn't he? And turned it around. And, he, and apparently, too, in the process, you know, he tried the courts and stuff, but he couldn't, there's no legal way around it. He was an inch over. He had to do something about it. And there wasn't a really a fair situation. The world we live in can be like that. The world we live in cannot be a fair place. It can be really hard, sometimes seemingly impossible to get justice. Because this world is evil. This world is, is going contrary to God. This world is so focused on, on self and what you get and, and doesn't matter you know, who you trample on sometimes along the way. And long as you don't get caught, it's okay. The 11th commandment. And Amos is talking to these people who are doing evil in God's eyes. They have a lifestyle of the people around them. They're not being serious and careful about God. They're not living to please God. They're not loving what God loves. And they're really endangered with God. And so he says, in verse 6, 15, God says, Hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on you. So even though they're doing the wrong thing, there's a hint there that God is a merciful God. And, and even though God's going to judge and he's going to come down hard on them, and remember it's like a funeral service, there's a hint there's mercy here because God is a merciful God. And respond to him, seek him and live, as what we've been already told. And now we come to the part which talks about God's justice and righteousness. In verse 18, they're longing for the day of the Lord. They think the day of the Lord when God will come and establish his throne on earth and re-establish the nation of Israel and judge all the people. And they think, wow, we'll be right then. We're God's people. We'll get a, you know, go past 
um, go get straight to heaven card because we're the people of God. We're Israel. They think that by their birth they're going to get a special place. And they don't realise how much trouble they're in. They're people who have rejected God. They're not obeying him. They're not seeking him. They're not following him. And when God judges, they're going to be the ones who are going to be in trouble. It says in verse 18, Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? The day will be darkness, not light. It's going to be a fearful thing, not a good thing for them. They don't realise, but they are caught, and God knows what they've been up to. And so he goes on to say, Verse 19, though a man fled from a lion and felt secure only to meet a bear. Or someone entered a house to rest only to have a snake bite them when they're in the house. So they're seemingly thinking life's going good but it's going to go bad and life's going to be, going to be safe but they're not going to be safe. It's all going to turn around. And God rejects their attempts to be religious in verses 21 to 23. He hates, he despises, he won't accept what they're doing. They're not seeking God. They're not listening to God. They're not doing things God's way. They're in trouble with him. They don't value what he values. They don't love what he loves. And now we come to the crux of the whole book in verse 24. What does God love and what does God value? Verse 24. But let justice roll on like a river and righteousness like a never-failing stream. We looked at that before, but that idea of a never-failing stream and a never-failing river, like the Hawkesbury River, not running dry, always there, plenty of water. And that's not always the case because uh, the people of Israel could know that there are places without water. And this is not in Israel, this is somewhere in Australia. Anyone know where that is? Sorry? Yeah, Alice Springs, that's right. And this is a famous uh, race that's on the 18th of August every year. So if you get in your car and hurry over, it's Henley on the Todd, the Todd River. And they have boat races, but there's no water. So they have to, have run, they have to run. Sorry, going the wrong way. There's another boat race, and they're all running with their boats. Now, uh, there is sometimes water there. Some people have seen it. I've been there twice and haven't seen water, um, but that's what it's like. The nation of Israel knew that because all around them there were um, desert areas and there were dried up stream beds in wadis, in valleys there, and these streams were like this. They hardly ever flowed. They might have flowed very occasionally, but mostly they didn't. And this is not how the nation of Israel are to let justice and righteousness come. It's not something that's only come when you've got plenty of time and plenty of energy and it suits you. It's got to be there all the time never-ending flow of it. It can't be dried up and it can't only come out when it's okay for you. It's got to be there no matter what the circumstances, no matter what the situation, no matter what's happening in life, there's always got to be justice and righteousness. And justice is the idea, justice is really closely linked to loving because if you're loving, you're going to do what's just. You're going to do the, something, if you do something just for someone, it's going to be a good thing for them. It's very closely aligned to loving. And righteousness means you're going to do something that's going to be right for them and right in the eyes of God. And God's the one who matters. Remember the plumb line. He's the one who's, who's judging everyone according to his standard, how they're faring. And so the nation of Israel, in verse 26, they were seeking um, uh, 
God by worshipping the king and serving idols and star signs. And in fact, they weren't finding God at all doing that. And he was very unhappy with them. So in verse 27, he says that he's going to bring down the nation of Assyria, or they're going to go into exile, and that's the actual nation of Assyria. They're going to come down in about 30 to 40 years' time. They're going to come from the north, and they're going to come down and uh, conquer Damascus and, and uh, the northern kingdom of Israel. They won't get down as far as Jerusalem and Judah. That'll be taken away later uh, by the Babylonians in about 150, 200 years' time. Um, but the top are going to be taken away in exile. The ones that Amos is speaking to. The ones that Amos went down from the north, sorry, south, went up to the north, sent by God to talk to the nation of Israel. And they're going to be taken away. And so we go back to the beginning of chapter 5. We're hearing like a funeral service. This is your funeral service because it's going to happen. But it all depends how you respond between now and then what it's going to mean for you. They're in big trouble. It says in verse 6, chapter 6, sorry, verse 1. Woe to you who are complacent in Zion and you who feel secure on Mount Samaria. They're complacent. They think, oh, we're safe, we're right, we're a rich and powerful nation, we're really prosperous, things are going really well for us now, we're, we've got safety against all the surrounding nations, we're the, we're the top dog in this area, we're the king of the castle, we'll be right. They're complacent. And they're being warned. They're just going to be about to get knocked down off their pedestal. And they won't be safe anywhere. And they'll go into exile and it won't be very nice. Chapter 6, verse 7, it says, Therefore you'll be among the first to go into exile and your feasting and lounging will end. Your loving lifestyle, your happy lifestyle, your prosperous lifestyle will end. Every year the, the Israelites would um, have their crops come in and in autumn uh, crops of figs and oz would come in and they would go up to the temple and uh, take them there. And that's a vision that uh, God gives Amos in chapter 8 verses 1 to 3. In chapter 8 verse 1, this is what the sovereign Lord showed me, a basket of ripe fruit. What do you see Amos? He asked, a basket of ripe fruit. Then the Lord said, the time is ripe for the people of my people Israel I will spare them no longer. You see fruit growing on a tree and slowly growing and slowly maturing. And when fruit comes ripe, what do you do? It's time to pick it, isn't it? If you don't pick it, it's going to, you know. Just... And so it's, they're using the analogy of fruit saying, well, as you can see fruit ripening, as you can see it's coming time to pick it, the nation of Israel needs to see that God is warning them and warning them and warning them, telling them this is going to happen. And it's going to happen. And they're going to get picked. And they're going to leave where they are. And will they respond? It says in verse 3, In that day, declares the sovereign Lord, the songs in the temple will turn to wailing and many, many bodies will be flung everywhere. It's going to be a horrible day when they're taken and overcome by the Assyrians and taken away into exile. And God's warning them, don't be complacent. Don't think that everything is right and you're untouchable. Listen to me, respond to me while you can. Well, what's all this mean to you and I? God hasn't changed. And God particularly is a God who wants us to be um, just and right. And that's something that's got to be there all the time in all that we do, whatever relationship we have. 
And because God is a God of relationships. And if we're going to, to honour him, we need to think about our relationships with one another. I mean, the great commandment says, love God with our whole being and love the neighbour as yourself. And so we need to be aware of that. And we need to be responding the way God would respond. And there's none of this 11th commandment, oh, you know, as long as I don't get caught, it's all right. No, God can see everything we think, everything we say, everything we do, and all the things we don't do that we should have done. He sees the whole lot. I mean, I'd be ashamed if it was thrown up on a video screen and everyone could see my life. God sees that for all of us. And we don't want to be silly thinking we're not going to get caught. We are caught. And so we want to continue to rely on the mercy that we have in Jesus. God is a merciful God. And he's saying, seek me and live. So let's keep seeking Jesus and let's keep living and living our lives for Jesus. That's our motto. Let's be doing that. And let's be trying to treat, treat people the way, well, what would Jesus do? How would Jesus be just? How would he be righteous in what he did? And particularly, how would he be just? How would he be doing things good and loving for that person? And how would he be righteous? How would he be doing the right thing, the right thing for that person, and the right thing before God in heaven? And when we look at both of those, we don't really come into play. It's not what's going to be good for me and loving for me or what's going to be right for me. They don't come into play because if it comes into play for me, then it's going to be corrupted and wrong. And so we need to be careful about that. But God's a great God, isn't he? I love to seeing what Year 13 did and what happened and the transformation of the girls. I love hearing about Amy and a job that's going to go well. Amy, I'm really excited about that. And that's what God does. When we step out and trust him, when we seek God and live for him, he does things in us. He does things around us. That's great doing that.